Great to be back again with you. I'm thankful that we can spend a time in the Word of God this morning. So I want to ask you to take your Bibles this morning and return with me to our study of the Gospel of Luke. It's been a few weeks since we have been here. We find ourselves back in Luke chapter 8 this morning. And I want to begin by returning to our study of verses 40 to 40 or 40 to 59, uh, 56. Verse 40. To 56. The verse that's always on my mind when I think about the truth that we are learning from Scripture, and that is John 17, 3, that says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Of course, Jesus Christ praying to the Father and His what we know as his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, praying for those who are his, explaining to them that eternal life is to know God and to know Jesus Christ, to experientially know the character and nature of God through faith in Jesus Christ, whom he has sent to save sinners like us. And one of the truths that we know about God through Christ is that He is sufficient. God is sufficient. We don't use that word much today, maybe because there isn't much that is sufficient in our world. We look around and really there isn't anything that is fully sufficient. But by its simplest definition, sufficient just means enough. Enough. And when we say that God is sufficient, that is exactly what we mean. That is exactly the theology behind that word, that he is absolutely enough, not only in himself as God, but that he is enough for every situation. He is enough for every circumstance. Doesn't matter what happens in life, doesn't matter what comes about in our world, God is enough. And so one of the truths about knowing God is just that, is to know that he is sufficient. Luke is giving us in this chapter more evidence of the sufficiency of God, i.e. the sufficiency of Jesus Christ over all things, so that we, like he's writing to his young friend Theophilus, so that we too would have certainty about what we believe. So he, along with all of the other gospel writers, are showing us that Jesus Christ is sufficient, and particularly from Luke's perspective, he is sufficient with the supernatural power to reverse the consequences of the curse of sin. It is the Lord of glory who will accomplish that. It is the Lord of glory who has accomplished that because the Lord of glory has the power to accomplish that. No one else on the globe, no other religious guru, no one else who claims to have the power to relinquish sin, not even man himself in his works and efforts can do it, only God alone. And so here in Luke chapter 8, Jesus Christ is shown to be sufficient, not just for the troubles that this life bring, like the natural disasters that God allows through the natural storms as we saw him calm the storm. But he is also sufficient for spiritual issues 
and he is sufficient for physical troubles, including death itself. I want to read for us this morning just that section of Scripture beginning in verse 40 and read down through verse 56 just to set it in our minds again. It says this, And as he returned, that is Jesus returning from the other side of the lake from Gesera, or Gennesera over there where the demoniac was. As Jesus returned, the people welcomed him for they had all been waiting for him. And there came a man named Jairus, and he was an official of the synagogue, and he fell at Jesus' feet and began to implore him to come to his house, because he had an only daughter, about 12 years old, and she was dying. But as he went, the crowds were pressing against him, and a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years and could not be healed by anyone came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, And immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Jesus said, who is the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. And Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. When the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone came from the house of the synagogue official saying, Your daughter has died. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But when Jesus heard this, he answered him, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe, and she will be made well. When he came to the house, he did not allow anyone to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the girl's father and mother. And now they were all weeping and lamenting for her. But he said, stop weeping, for she has not died, but is asleep. And they began laughing at him, knowing that she had died. He, however, took her by the hand and called, saying, child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up immediately And he gave orders for something to be given her to eat. Her parents were amazed, but he instructed them to tell no one what had happened. Of course, as we saw last time, this is the account of two miracles. Two miracles. One, of course, is the raising of a dead girl back to life. That is clear. The other is the healing of a woman plagued in her life by an endless sickness. Death, of course, is the endless pursuit of every sickness, has been the bane of humanity since, since the fall. Death has reigned. And yet, it is the very reason why Jesus came. Jesus came to abolish death. We understand He came to abolish spiritual death. And in abolishing spiritual death, he includes physical death in that all will be raised from the dead who know Jesus Christ. They will be raised to life. They will not be raised to an eternal death, which is those who do not know Jesus Christ. And so accompanying death is the fear, the fear of death, the fear of physical death, the fear of spiritual death, because with death comes judgment. Every part of humanity understands that, whether they agree to it, whether they acknowledge it or not, everyone 
in their heart knows that judgment is coming. Jesus came to end the fear of death. So that those who embrace him by faith might see physical death no longer as an enemy, but physical death as a friend. It's the transition from this life to the next. It's the way of moving outside of the temporal into the eternal to be with a glorious king. All humans naturally in their fallenness have an intense fear of physical death. Why? Because because of judgment. And we do everything we can, frankly, to eliminate any kind of potential death to come. In fact, you think about our world and you think about the advancements in medical care, every advancement that has been made other than the greed behind those has been the medical advancement in order to prolong life, to make sure people live as long as they can possibly live for the purpose that we can avoid physical death as long as possible. Luke chapter 8, there are two people for which Christ performs these miracles and both had the same innate problem. They both feared the inevitable reality that would come with sickness, death. One was facing the inevitable reality of death of a young child, their only daughter, with all of its accompanying fear. The other is facing the inevitable reality of death that would come on the heels of a nonstop, year-by-year plaguing of sickness. And so it's with this power over death that sets Jesus apart from everybody else. What makes Jesus different than anybody else who claims to have a way to heaven is the fact that Jesus Christ is alive. Jesus Christ died and rose again. Nobody else has ever done that. It sets Him apart from other religious frauds that have gone before and who will come after. In fact, 1 John clearly says that many antichrists have come into the world. Jesus Christ has the power to conquer death. Not just the death of the body, but also the death of the soul. So Jesus Christ came to conquer both sides of death, physical and spiritual. You remember in our study, he has already demonstrated his power to conquer the forces of nature. The storm came up on the lake and the men who were seasoned sailors in the previous verses up to verse 25, they're all, they're all afraid of the swamping that is taking place on the, on the lake. They, they can't get away from it. They don't know how to handle it. They're scared to death. And Jesus has the power over the forces of nature. He stopped the water so that it was, it says, immediately calm. This is the difference between Jesus. He doesn't need time to do it. He does it and immediately it happens with fullness. And so he shows his power over natural realm. He shows his power over the demonic realm by casting out several demons from a man who no one else could control. He was uncontainable by the rest of humanity. Both of those situations were impossible situations into which Christ inserts himself and brings immediate change to what seems to be impossible. And in just a short time, through the power of his divine nature, he will show his power over physical death. But first, 
through his reachableness, as we talked about last time, he will immediately and fully heal a sick woman who has an incurable disease. Now you remember that we learned last time when we were here that this is the way it is with God. This is the way God operates in His kindness and in His mercy and through His grace. He is reachable to us and He is reachable by us. He came to these people. Jesus came to them. Even says in verse 40, as Jesus returned. Jesus had left them and now He's coming to them again. And as He comes to them, He gets off the boat and He is personally met by Jairus. Jairus comes to him personally. In other words, God is not merely concerned about the masses in general. God is also concerned with us personally. You cannot forget that. That is the way it is with God. Don't ever forget that in your relationship with the Savior. This is the way it is with our Lord. He is reachable to us. He is reachable to those who have needs, and we all have needs. And our greatest need in all of life is to be in a relationship with Him. And so Jesus Christ is reachable to us, He is reachable by us, and He is, as we'll look at this morning, secondly, botherable. He is botherable. Note, I didn't say He's bothersome. He's not bothersome but rather He is willing to be bothered by us. He is willing to be bothered by us. And for us to see that, I want us to look at the second point in our outline, the reluctant persistence of this woman. The reluctant persistence of this woman. We already saw the requested presence of this synagogue official. We looked at that last time we were here in verses 40 to 42, that Jesus is reachable. But now I want to look at the botherableness of Jesus. That Jesus is botherable, and we see that in the reluctant persistence of this woman, beginning in verse 43 and going down to verse 48. Notice what it says, And a woman who had a hemorrhage for 12 years, and could not be healed by anyone, came up behind him and touched the fringe of his cloak, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Jesus said, who's the one who touched me? And while they were all denying it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. And Jesus said, someone did touch me, for I was aware that the power had gone out of me. And when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him, and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. This is a very fascinating scene to me because Jesus is now trying to get to Jairus' house. Jesus has stepped off the boat. The people are immediately there. He's, he's trying to make his way to Jairus' house. The massive crowd with all of these sick people, all of these people ailing are pushing in around him. 
You can only imagine how difficult it might have been for him to just move a few feet as the people are there in this immobile way. He's got the sick people around him, some who are paralytic, some who are crippled in in other ways. Others have sicknesses of all kinds, various ailments. There's blind people there. There would have been the deaf there. There's all these people. Their relatives certainly would have been pushing them to the front. How could Jesus move to get to Jairus' house on any other given day, it would have been an easy task. It would have been a short walk from the water up to Capernaum, but not with the crowd crushing in on him. And I think we need to just pay attention to that and think about it, because in the mind of Jairus, delay is out of the question. Right? Jairus had come to Jesus originally, hey, you've got to come to my house, my daughter, my only daughter, my 12-year-old daughter, she's dying. She's on her deathbed. You must come quickly. He, in, in one sense, there's a sense with Jairus that he doesn't realize who Jesus really is, that Jesus Christ could just speak the word and she's healed. He doesn't need to be there. There's no proximity with Jesus. He doesn't need to be at Jairus' house, but Jairus is asking and Jesus is accommodating that request and trying to make his way. And so for Jairus, there's no sense in his mind that I can have a delay with Jesus. If Jesus delays, if Jesus doesn't get there as quick as he can before my daughter dies, she's going to die. And so here in Luke's account as Luke records it for us, there is a drama building in what is happening. His anxiety is at the max as Jairus is trying to get Jesus through the crowd, probably trying to say away, away, trying to make a way as being a synagogue official, trying to command the people to move. And yet Jesus is being crushed by the crowd. And if that wasn't bad enough, just to make the scene even more worse and prolonged, there's this woman in the crowd, no one knows of her yet, who had this hemorrhage for 12 years and she has tried every remedy known to man in her day. She has gone to every doctor she could go to, she has tried everything she could try and she can't be helped by anyone. She comes up behind Jesus, clandestine as she could be, and she grabs the fringe of his cloak. What it tells us in verse 43 and 44, there is this woman, she has this decade more long problem with her body, couldn't be healed by anyone. She comes up behind, touches the fringe of his cloak, and she is immediately healed. Now remember, she is just one person in this massive crowd. And as soon as she reached Jesus, she grabs for his garment, and the text says immediately her hemorrhage stopped. She comes up behind him, she touches the fringe of his coat, and immediately the hemorrhage stops. That's how Jesus does miracles. It isn't over time. Miracles don't happen over time. Miracles are the the intervention of God into the natural course of how he created things, so to supernaturally suspend and change things in a moment. This is a miracle. Immediately, her 12-year hemorrhage that could be cured by no one is stopped. Problem has been averted. The woman is healed. Jesus can just keep moving. 
No need to stop, right? No need to stop. Wrong. You say, why? Why would he have to stop? I mean, this is what the woman came for. The woman is healed of her disease, this lifelong problem. Jesus has been compassionate. He has, his power has gone out. It's healed her. No need to stop. Why? Wrong. Because Jesus is botherable. Jesus is botherable, and he doesn't mind being bothered. Think about Jesus in his ministry. Jesus is bothered all the time. This is God in the flesh. Jesus is bothered all the time, and he never minds. He's bothered by the demon possessed while he preaches. Remember Jesus in the synagogue? The demon possessed man is there. What do we have to do with you, Jesus? Jesus is interrupted in his preaching by a man who's demon-possessed. He's bothered by his disciples continuously about their own family sicknesses. He's bothered while praying. He's bothered by lepers and paralytics lowered down through roofs in the midst of the synagogue so that they can be right in front of Jesus. Even demoniac in Gennesaret bothered him on his way. And now this woman in the crowd grabs hold of Christ. And again, Jesus is botherable. He doesn't mind. I was thinking about it. I mean, if, if, if this was ministry in our life, if this was us doing ministry, even though we couldn't carry out miracles, but people just wanted to be with you and wanted to hear what you said, I, I don't think I could go bothered like he was and still keep it all together. I don't think I could do that if someone was constantly there. Some, something in my own humanity would misfire. Something's going to get missed. Something's going to not be touched. My mind would be so confused. But that's not Christ. He is botherable by us, and it's never a distraction. Don't you love that? Do you ever think about Christ like that? I mean, just think about it for a minute. Here is this synagogue ruler with a major issue. My daughter is on her deathbed. Jesus is trying his best to go through the crowd, to get to the house of Jairus so he can do what he's planning to do, and he gets bothered by this woman with a blood problem. I like how Luke puts it being a doctor. He says it's a 12-year hemorrhage. The other... Gospel writers say the same thing. Text doesn't tell us exactly what that means. We're not sure what is the cause of all of this. It was something for which she had spent all of her resources, all of her time, all of her energy, at least attempting to get some kind of relief from the problem. We don't know. Maybe it was some kind of cancerous issue or some other kind of internal problem that was causing this hemorrhage to take place with her over 12 years. And for 12 years, she has been an outcast of society because of it. You say, really? Why? Because she's in a constant state of ceremonial uncleanness. A woman going through her regular time in, in her life where she is, she is uh, through her cycles in life for her pregnancy times is, is now an unclean person for for a period of days until she is 
fact, ceremonial cleanly clean. This woman is a constant state of uncleanness, according to Luke or Leviticus 15. According to the rules of the synagogue and an issue of blood, she is unclean. And because of that, she can't touch others. She can't be in the synagogue to worship. She can't be around people. In her mind, she's as good as dead. And this has been going on for more than a decade. So this disease is having a massive impact upon her life. Physically, she would have been in pain most of the time because of it if not from the disease itself causing her pain from the hands of the doctor's treatments that she was continually under trying to get some kind of relief, whatever the treatments were in those ancient days, they weren't what we have. And certainly they would have caused some kind of pain at the hands of doctors. If she was married, we don't know that, but if she was married, she couldn't be with her husband in any kind of intimate way because she was unclean. And if she was with him in any kind of way, that would have made him unclean and therefore unable to worship in the synagogue. If she had children, it would have been the same thing. She couldn't hold them because it would have made them unclean. So physically, she had that going on. Socially, she would have been an outcast from society for fear of becoming unclean by anyone if they touched her. So she would have been distanced from, even inadvertently, if she touched somebody, they would be unclean. So no one would want to have been around her. Spiritually, she couldn't have been taught in any kind of sense of formal way because she couldn't go to the temple or the synagogue in that kind of way. And so for her, this disease had physical, social, and spiritual effects in her life. This was affecting her in every way. I would have only imagined that even her in the crowd, she was cloaked in all kinds of things to hide even who she was so that others wouldn't have seen that this was the woman who had this disease. In fact, in our text, it says she couldn't be healed by anyone. Which implies that she had tried to be healed by anyone that she could get to who would try. So in reality, it says that she was incurable. Luke, of course, he was a doctor himself. He would have known what this was saying and what this was all about. In fact, he may even, after this gal was revealed, might even have known her personally. In fact, if you go to Mark's gospel in Mark chapter 5, Mark chapter 5 is the, is the accounting of this in Mark's gospel. And Mark tells us that she suffered at the hands of, of many doctors in their attempts to cure her. Or it might say it this way in your text, she endured much. She endured much. So this is a very sad case. This is just no, hey, I got a hangnail. I need to go see if I can get this taken care of. My big toe hurts or something like that. This is a woman who has suffered continuously for years, not only in her own life socially, not only in her own life spiritually, but in her own life physically. And in the midst of Jairus' plight, she tries to secretly bother Jesus. Why? Because she has faith that she will be healed. She believes who Jesus is. She's in, in a horrific physical condition. She has all the stigma and all the shame that is associated with it. She's heard about the healing power of Jesus. She's heard from people's talk around that Jesus is 
the one who can heal her. And like the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, she is in desperation mode. Just like Jairus is as his daughter lies on the bed about to die and he comes to Jesus even as a synagogue official and comes to recognize who Jesus is and the people recognize and know who Jairus is as a leader of the synagogue. He goes to Jesus, doesn't care. Desperation is is all that he has in his mind. My daughter's sick. She needs to be well. I'm going to Jesus. He doesn't care who sees him. This woman is the same. She knows what her social limits are to be. She's been this way for 12 years. There's nothing secret about who she is, but now she's at the point where it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. I just need to get to Jesus. So like Jairus, she doesn't care what others might think of her anymore. She doesn't care that she's at the point of desperation in her life and others around her might think her to be funny or others might think her to be Someone who's going after Jesus when she shouldn't. She just wants to be near Jesus. She knows Jesus is the one who can help. And so she's going to get close to Jesus no matter if she has to push her way through the whole crowd of people and just grab Jesus. This woman had faith, beloved. She had faith. And listen, that is what faith does in desperate times. That's what faith does. Faith in Christ is willing to bother Christ. Bothers Christ, why? Because faith knows that Christ is the answer. Faith knows that Christ is the only answer. Mark's Gospel, verse 28, says it this way, She thought, if I just touch His garments, I shall get well. If I just touch Him, I'll get well. Now, I don't want us to miss the point here because there's more here than just a physical healing going on. And oftentimes when you read the Gospels and you see these accounts, that's often the case. There's much more going on than just physical healing. In fact, the words get well in in both accounts, but primarily in Mark's account, carry the idea of physical healing as well as that of spiritual healing. So when it says get well, there's, there's this greater picture. It isn't that my hemorrhage will be gone, but my physical healing may happen, but my spiritual healing will happen. So not only was she physically healed, as we will see, but she was also spiritually healed. The word, notice, verse 45, she re, or verse uh, 43 says, she reaches out and touched the fringe of his cloak. Hands up behind him and touches him. The word touch is somewhat unclear because the original means grab and to hold on. Grab and to hold on. That's exactly what we would do. You and I were in this woman's shoes. We would have grabbed and held on. We were sick for years, physical pain for years, social outcast for years. There's nowhere else to turn. And that mental capacity and that place that God had her, she would have been at the point in our final and last hope to grab Christ and never let go. And that's what she did. She went to Christ. She didn't want to let go. She heard of His power. She believed His power. 
And so she grabbed hold of his garment, saying to herself, I will be made well. All of this, all of this is going on while she kept telling herself, I need to go. I need to go. Pushing herself past all the physical and social boundaries. Rubbing up against people. Maybe even been pointed out by people if she wasn't under the cloak of some kind of shroud. She believed there was so much power coming from Jesus that if she just got in close proximity to Jesus, her disease would be cured. I find that ironic in light of the fact that sometimes we, in the midst of our trouble, instead of running toward the light, we go away from it. In the midst of our difficulties, instead of going to the people of God, we run from the people of God. We isolate ourselves. We don't want to be around the people of God. And yet that's the very place we need to be. And here's a woman who has all these trouble and she's at the place in desperation now that there's nowhere else for her to go. She can't go anywhere else. I'm going to Jesus. I've tried all that other stuff. I've gone to everybody else. Nobody can help me. I'm going to Jesus. He's my only hope. So that's what she did. You know what? She was right. She was right in her pursuit. She was right because it says in verse 44, immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Immediately. Just like that. Done. Over. 12 years, constant bleeding. Now it's done. I don't know what that would have looked like. She would have known. She she would have felt something. Something went on in the physical realm where it immediately happened. This is how Luke writes it. God always tells the truth. He always says it just like it is. This is exactly what happened. We cannot miss the implication because this is faith in the power of Jesus Christ and the belief that He has such immense power that he can not only cure me, but he can do it immediately. He is absolutely sufficient for my problem. And what is shocking in many ways here is Jesus honors that. Jesus honors her faith. Her physical problem solved. You say, well, that's good. That could have been it, right? That could have been it. He could have just moved on and went to Jairus' house. He could have just not been bothered. But that's not how it is with Jesus. Because Jesus is botherable. He's not interested in just... This is the, this is the thing that we have to realize. Jesus is not interested in temporary restoration. Jesus is not interested in temporary restoration. He has a desire to fully restore those who believe. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, notice what he asks. Notice what he asks in verse 45. Who is the one who touched me? Now for us, we, we're, we're like Peter. We're asking the same question in our mind. What are you talking about, Jesus? You're in this crowd. I mean, you're standing amongst the ants. And the ants are all over the sugar. What do you mean, who touched you? We're like Peter. 
Right? He could have just let the woman go. He could have said nothing. Let her go on being physically healed, and that would have been it. But she needed to be restored. Not just physically, she needed to be restored in every way. She needed restoration physically, but she needed more so even restoration socially and restoration spiritually. And he is the only one who could do that. She had been immediately healed physically by the power of Jesus Christ. She needed to be healed socially. And she needed to be healed uh, 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 spiritually. And that meant public restoration. You notice in verse 47, she makes a public confession. She comes to Jesus and falls down before him and declares in the presence of all, don't miss that. This is a public confession of who she was and who she is and what God has done for her. This is a testimony right here in the midst of this text in the moment she gets saved. She needs to be healed socially. She needs to have that restoration. We're going to see that take place. And she needs to be healed spiritually. And the only one who can do that and affirm that is Jesus Christ. Remember, she hasn't been under the teaching of God for 12 years. No worship, no fellowship, no people who wanted to be around her. She's unclean. So Jesus says in verse 45, who is the one who touched me? And of course, while they're all denying it, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, it wasn't me. Peter says, Master, come on, the people are crowding and pressing in on you. You know, like, what kind of question is that? And Jesus said, no, no, someone touched me where I was aware that power had gone out of me. Everybody else in the crowd is going, hey, uh, don't, uh, you know, it's not me. I didn't do it. Uh, listen, Jesus, I, I, I like you. You know, the distance is okay, but it's not me. I didn't touch you. Don't get mad at me. He knew who touched him. He's God. He didn't need to understand to know. He knew. He, being God, has orchestrated this entire event for his glory and the good of this woman and Jairus and all the people to understand just who he is. He knew about his own power. But this woman needed to acknowledge, and she needed to be acknowledged socially so that she could be fully restored socially. So the text clearly says, when the woman saw that she had not escaped notice, she came trembling and fell down before him, that is Jesus, and declared in the presence of all the people the reason why she had touched him, and that she had been immediately healed. Don't miss it. Here's this woman who comes secretly to Jesus, clandestine to Jesus, thinking, I just need a physical fix. I just need my physical problem cured. And Jesus knows what she really needs more than even just that. She needs to have a social restoration so she can be fully restored back to the community, back as a clean woman, back as one who's fully restored. And that's not going to happen without a spiritual restoration, which comes through confession, repentance, and acknowledgement of who Jesus Christ is. And so she comes to Jesus, found out, She falls down before Jesus 
And she declares in the presence of all just who Jesus is and who she was before Jesus. This is who I was. And I touched Jesus. And this is who I am now. Jesus healed me immediately. So here's another implication that we need to understand. Jesus doesn't mind being bothered by us. Why? Because he desires to restore us fully and not just in part. Acknowledging her publicly would remove her social stigma in the eyes of others. See, Jesus now is the one who everybody's eyes are on. And this woman now is face to face, right there on her face before Jesus, acknowledging who she was. And now Jesus can say to everybody else, she's actually clean. She couldn't hide. She couldn't hide. So she comes fearing and trembling. Why? Because she knew she was in front of God. She knew who Jesus was. She does what all people do, what all people will do one day before Christ. doesn't matter whether you're a believer or not. Philippians clearly tells us every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. Jesus says, Lord, this is exactly what she is doing. She falls down before Jesus and she worships Jesus and publicly confesses why she came to Jesus. This is why I came. This is why I touched him. And I've been changed by him. Now all the truth is out. Here she is before Jesus, exposing herself, exposing her heart, and everybody knows. And full restoration can now take place. So Jesus says to her daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. What a statement. What a statement. He uses the term daughter by the way, you can search the scriptures at large all the way, and you'll find this incident here, the healing of this woman of the hemorrhage for 12 years is the only time in the whole New Testament that Jesus ever calls a woman by that name. The only place. It's a term of family. What is Jesus saying? He's saying to her, listen, daughter, you are now in the kingdom And your faith has saved you, made you well. That's that's the word in the original language, sozo. It's the same word we know for salvation. Your faith has made you well. In fact, she says earlier in Mark's gospel, if, if I just get close to him, I shall get well. That's the same word there. The translation is the same word as here in Luke's gospel for you have been made well. means to save. Jesus says, your faith has saved you. Father, your faith has saved you. He didn't say your faith healed you. He didn't say your faith healed your disease. He didn't say, listen, if you have enough faith, you can be healed of your disease. Listen, we know God can heal any kind of disease. We ought to trust Him. If God chooses to do so, He can do that even immediately as we see here. But it's faith that saves you. 
She came here for physical healing. She left with a physical healing, a social healing, and a spiritual healing. We still haven't arrived at Jairus' house. And yet Jesus has accomplished so much already. The people must have been shocked and astounded by all that he was doing. She needed to be physically healed. She was. She needed to be socially healed. She was. She needed to be spiritually healed. She was. Jesus Christ was reachable. And Jesus Christ was botherable. I love that. He met her every need. Even things she didn't know. She didn't realize. She didn't think about. He met her every need. So here's the question I have for us this morning as we close our time. What about yours? What about your needs? Is he sufficient for your need? More importantly, not only is he sufficient, do you believe that he is? Do you believe it? Jesus says to her, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace, he says. Go in peace. She came trembling. She came afraid. She came in full anxiety. Go in peace. Go in peace with God. In other words, you you have peace with God. God's not your enemy anymore. There's been peace made between you and God, and it came by faith, trusting me. You can't miss that. This is the point of Luke, right? I'm writing to you, Theophilus, so that you may for certain know what you have been taught. We have been taught that Jesus Christ is God. That Jesus Christ by faith, if we, if we love Jesus Christ, if we believe in Jesus Christ by faith, we will be saved. Well, that salvation is, is pictured in our life by how we live. We live by that faith. We walk by that faith. We trust Jesus by faith. We walk in peace with God. Why do we have so much trouble then? Because we forget this. We forget this. We forget that God is reachable and botherable by us, and so we don't run to Him and we don't rest in Him. Beloved, we cannot forget Jesus knows each one of us. He knows us. He knows our hurts. He knows our pains. He knows our struggles. He knows our difficulties. He knows the needs we have in our relationships with one another. He knows that. And He is sufficient for it all. He is sufficient for it all. We need no one else but Jesus Christ. No one else. Well, next time we'll get to see Jesus finally revealing His power over death. We'll get to that next time. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You that You are sufficient for all things, that You care for us in every way more than we ever know. 
that you take care of things that we don't even think about, don't even realize, don't even know is a need. This woman came to you for physical healing and you gave her so much more. You fully restored her in every way, spiritually, societally, physically. You can only wonder what her life was like after that as she went around to tell people just exactly what you had done for her. Just like the demoniac that you healed previously on the other side of the lake and you told him, go and tell others what God has done for you. It's the same thing you were doing with this woman so that she would go and tell others what God had done for her. Oh Lord, I pray that we would see you in the same way, that we would rely on you in that same way, knowing that you are sufficient in all things, that you are enough so that we would tell others all that you have done for us. For even in the midst of our pain and struggle, even when you choose to give us the grace of suffering, that in that you are sufficient for us, that you are enough, and we can praise you in it, so that you might be glorified and we might be enriched in our relationship with you. All praise to you, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.